Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. The following information... It was to be the trip of a lifetime. A year-long adventure starting in England and perhaps fulfilling a dream of travelling on the Orient Express. 51-year-old Mariam Barter had resigned from a teaching position on the Gold Coast, sold her house, said goodbye to her grown-up children. In late June 1997, she stepped aboard a flight at Brisbane Airport in Australia. Bound for London via Tokyo. And was never seen again by a family and friends. Yet, Customs has confirmed that she, or someone with her passport, did return to Australia just weeks later. Yes, but I can remember every little detail. Her name, Miss Froy, everything. Alfred Hitchcock's 1938 classic examined what happens to those left behind when a person suddenly disappears. There is no Miss Froy. There never was a Miss Froy. Merely a vivid, subjective image. Each year, 38,000 people are reported missing in Australia, most found within a few hours or days. There are around 1,600 people who have been gone for three months or longer. Some were taken, possibly murdered, never to be seen again. Others fell ill and slipped away. A few, the smallest group among these lost souls, choose to leave their homes, partners, children. All traces of who they were. This is a story about a woman, a mother, a teacher, the ex-wife of a national sporting hero, gone for more than 20 years. Her children were both unable to live without knowing what happened to her. One, her son is gone. Her daughter refuses to ever stop looking for her, needing to find an answer to what happens when the lady vanishes. This is the case of missing person Marion Barter. You know, no sign that she was going to vanish, that's for sure. The bizarre circumstances surrounding her disappearance. I'm not sure if it was intentional or if there was something more foul afoot. If you could imagine a teacher coming straight from, say, Little House on the Prairie to the 80s, that was Marion Barter. Whether you find Marion Barter dead or alive, I honestly believe somebody has that key piece of information. And the relentless quest of a daughter to find her mum. Something had happened. Something has happened to make her leave. I am 100% sure, 100% sure that somebody knows something. Episode 1. I'm Alison Sandy, 20 years experience specialising in politics, crime and Australia's freedom of information laws. This case draws in all of those elements, but the main reason it piqued my interest is the remarkable story surrounding Marion's disappearance, how it happened and why. And the relentless quest by daughter Sally, determined to find her mother, or at least find out what happened to her, no matter the personal toll. 
Sally has endured much disappointment in her journey, both in her dealings with authorities and even other family. This is about unearthing clues and unravelling the 22-year-old mystery of Marion Barter. At times, I'll be joined by Brian Seymour, a colleague of mine from Seven News in Sydney and internationally acclaimed investigative journalist. Thanks, Alison. My interest in this case stems from, well, partly my fascination with this story, but also personal experience. So I was a ward of the state, I was destitute at birth, and I met my mother when I was 12, but from about the age of 14 I began searching for my father. All I had was a name. It took me 20 years to find my father, and I'd exhausted just about every avenue of inquiry. Finally, I went on a television show called Enough Rope with Andrew Denton. And that's how I found my father, the public interest generated by that interview. Uh, I think three months after it went to air, I was speaking to my dad and then organised a DNA test. And that really was a major turning point in my life. Uh, That was in 2004. And I was about the same age Sally is now. And uh, it uh, really was the relief of knowing, of finding uh, my father and the end of that search, the end of wondering uh, that enabled me to, I guess, move on to other things that were important to me in my life. And certainly I want to help Sally find that kind of uh, closure, that kind of moment. So where is Marion? Is she still alive? Is she in hiding? Has she met with foul play? Has someone else assumed her identity? To answer that, we must first explain who is Marion Barter. At the time of her disappearance, Marion Barter was 51 years old. She was average height, slim, with dark, wavy, shoulder-length hair, fair skin and hazel eyes. She was very feminine and some say a little eccentric. Marion loved florals and was quite particular about the way she dressed. Her home was furnished with antiques and expensive artworks. In photos, you notice her smile is very thin almost reminiscent of the Mona Lisa in that she seems to be communicating something or she could be simply thinking of nothing. She did like to be loved and to be in love. She was married and divorced three times and hence was at various times known by four different names. Marion Wilson was her maiden name. Her first marriage was to Australian soccer star Johnny Warren. Australia mounting another attack now through Johnny Warren, number 10, coming up to the Israeli penalty box. Her third marriage was to Ray Barter. In between, husband Stuart Brown. He was the father of her two children, Sally and Owen. They were 24 and 23 years old when their mum vanished. Sally is now 45, a married mother of three. And how close were you with your mother? I know it's an odd question, but some people aren't close with their sure. father or mother. How close were you with sure. Marion? I think um, I would say we had a pretty normal normal relationship. I think if you ask me to compare my relationship with my children, I'm closer to my children than my mum was to me. But I also have reflected on that as a child and think that I I wanted my life to be different with my kids. I wanted to be a different parent. I wanted to go and watch them at their football games and watch them do their gymnastics and be there for them every step of the way. So I've actually probably go the opposite end of the the tunnel where I'm 
probably too, <laughs> too motherly. Marion was also a teacher, a highly regarded one. She trained at Balmain Teachers College in Sydney and was named Queensland's Teacher of Excellence in 1996. Teaching was her passion. Loved it. And anyone that you talk to will tell you that, you know, what a great teacher she was. Um, some to, somewhat to Owen and my detriment, I think, because she was so involved in teaching that she was more about her, her students than she was about us sometimes, which I think is pretty standard for a teacher who loves their job, I think, from what I've seen over the years. But um, she was very well loved. She's godmother to hundreds of children. And, you know, growing up in primary school, she was a teacher at our where I went to primary school as well. And quite often, if we weren't staying back till five o'clock, um, getting ready for the next day in the classroom, we were invited to somebody's house for afternoon tea and um, hanging out with people. And I, I've reconnected with all of those people on Facebook since they found out about mum because it's actually been quite earth-shattering for a lot of people to even consider that that would be something that would happen to her. And everyone has something really nice to say. I remember one boy once when I first um, started a Facebook page about mum being missing and he came on and he said, um, Mrs Brown, who she was known in primary school, um, he's the same age as me, so we were in the same year together through primary school, and he said she's the only person who's ever got me into a tutu And because um, mum was very big on doing theatre productions and things like that in the, in the school and um, I think we were in the Nutcracker or something and he had to wear a tutu and he's now about six foot tall and big, big guy. And, um, yeah, so she had a lot of... Um, a lot of influence on a lot of people. Another girlfriend of mine who's the same year as me as well at primary, she's now in theatre and she actually posted something on the page and said, I always remember my, my parents telling me that year three was um, just a gap year for me because I was doing too much theatre and too much drama with Mrs Brown, but hence I am now in theatre and her, my whole motivation and my whole reason I'm in this career is based on my experiences with her from grade three. So we... She has touched a lot of people and um, it's a very sad, very, very sad situation. What's this little mark called at the end? In 1997, Marion was teaching four- and five-year-old boys at TSS, the Southport School, an exclusive all-boys school on the Gold Coast. You said earlier that, that sometimes felt like your mother spent more time and cared more about the boys she was raising in the school than she did with her own children. Yeah, Everyone loved her. Everyone wanted a piece of her. So she was always, if she, we weren't at someone's house, as I said, for afternoon tea, she was staying back at class doing something for the kids for the next day or she had us in the holidays painting Beatrix Potter pictures of, you know, Mrs Tiggy Winkle on the windows because that was the theme she was doing that, that term. But she was all about school and all about the people at school and not always about Owen and I as such. But didn't mean she was a bad parent. She just, she just had a different way of parenting us. Did you ever feel any resentment that she focused so much attention on other people's children and not you? Um, I don't think so. I, I don't think that I ever sat back and thought, oh, my gosh, you give way too much attention to everybody else. There was one time in year one, so, and I started school when I was four, so I was, only, I was only young and I was in year one and they'd put me into her class at school. And this was at Springwood Primary School in the Blue Mountains. And... Um, I remember this girl, Joanna, and I'm friends with her on Facebook now, but she used to sit on my mum's lap all the time. 
and it really upset me that she always sat on mum's lap because I kind of didn't get to sit on mum's lap very often because she was too busy with everyone else's kids. But, um, and they made me call her Mrs Brown and, you know, for a five-year-old that was pretty tough. So they moved me to a different class eventually because I don't think I was coping very well. But um, in saying that too, I think... You know, she was a good mum. She fed us well. Like she was really, you know, food for her was really important. That we ate really well, and um, that we had everything that we we needed and wanted, and always celebrated our birthdays. You know, with great love and affection, and you know, so. But she was just a busy single mum. Like you got to think too. We lived on a quarter acre block. Um, she used to mow the grass. She used to hang the wallpaper. She'd be up at all hours of the night. I remember wallpapering, and. Um, you know, try and then going to school all day and cooking dinner. I know when my husband goes away with three kids, it's tiring, it's exhausting, and sometimes it's a bit too much to sit there and want to sit down and do their homework with them. Um, so, yeah, I get that, and being a single mother, you know, I think she did a good job. Marion abruptly resigned in the middle of the school year, an unusual move for a teacher as dedicated as herself. 16 June 1997. Dear Sir, Madam, I wish to inform you of my resignation from the Southport School on Friday 20th of June 1997. I'll be travelling overseas for an indefinite period and hopefully teaching in England and Europe. I'd like to renew my registration for 1998 in advance and advise you of my forwarding address for future renewal should I need to do so. Yours sincerely, Marion Barter. Something wasn't right. She had just won the Teacher Award of Excellence for Queensland, so she was voted the best teacher in Queensland in 1996. And um, it seemed that there was a little bit of a tall poppy syndrome going on with the new teachers that had come in where they were trying to knock her down a peg is my take on it from what she had told me. So I'd be over there for dinner and she'd be in tears telling me um, that these people had said horrible things about her and she was not in a very happy place. What did they say about her, Sally? Uh, she mentioned to me that someone had accused her of touching boys and it broke her heart. She has been a teacher for a very long time before I was even born um, and teaching was her passion and her life and it really made me very sad to hear that and I remember this particular night she told me that um, I stayed with her because I could see she was sad and we watched TV together and she fell asleep on the couch and she literally had her palms facing upwards next to her in this exhausted look on her face and her face was really droopy and like she had just had the wind taken out of her sails. What happened to your mother, Sally? Briefly after the incident where I saw her at her home and she was in tears and had told me that information, um, she told me that she decided that she was going to go on a holiday for a year and wanted to go to the UK. She'd always wanted to go on the Orient Express, was one of her, you know, bucket lists. And um, I was all for it. I was like, you know what, go for it. You're single, you've got no ties here, you know, do whatever you need to do. And so she said, look, you know, I'm going to sell the house because the house is a three-bedroom home. It's got a swimming pool that no one swims in. I'll sell the house. When I come back, I'll just buy a unit at Main Beach. And so she then ended up giving us a little bit of her furniture. She had a lot of antiques 
she said, I'll give that to you now so that you can have it. It's going to be yours anyway one day, so you might as well have it now because when I get back, I'm going to downsize. And she put the rest of her things into storage. And she quite openly said to me, if I get a job over there, she's very interested in the Steiner School program and she had a lot of passion for being a bit eccentric I guess in your teaching style so if you're reading she was reading a book about going to the beach she'd take the boys out of class and they'd walk down to the water's edge and play in the sand and she was that kind of teacher Um, so she was very interested in Steiner and had openly said to me if I don't come back and get a job over there you can just send my things over for me and we were very open and happy for her to do that it wasn't like it was like oh you're not allowed to go you can't go we were like sure no problem Within weeks, she'd sold her home at a loss of $15,000. She'd bought the property for $180,000 in 1994, but let it go for $165,000. It seemed like she was in a hurry. When Sally's then-boyfriend, Chris Layden, was helping Marion to pack up her home, she suddenly turned on him. Before she left, there were a couple of odd things that you've now, in in hindsight, realised seemed very odd, particularly... One night um, you spotted her filling up at the petrol bowser? Yeah. What happened? So I was at TAFE um, and my husband, who we weren't married at that time, but Chris was um, helping mum pack up the house. So she'd already sold the house and was packing her things and putting them in the shipping container. And at about 8.30 that night she kind of panicked and said, oh, what's the time to Chris? And he said, it's 8.30. And she said, well, you need to go. You just just drop what you're doing now. I need you to go. And was quite abrupt. And anyway, he came and got me at nine o'clock when I finished, which I typically did on this night. And we would always stop at the McDonald's local on the way home just to grab something to eat because it was always too late. And he picked me up and he said, God, your mother's rude. And I said, why? What happened? And he said, she just kicked me out. Like I was just in the middle of packing up stuff in a box and she just said, just drop it. What's the time? You need to go. And so he was quite annoyed, I would say, at that point because he was there as a kind gesture helping her. And anyway, we went and we stopped at the McDonald's. And the McDonald's is one of those McDonald's where they have the drive through. You can fill up your petrol as well. So it's got the petrol station attached to it. And we were sitting in there and I had my back to the Bowser's. And anyway, Chris, um, I was getting him something extra to eat and I stood up and as I stood up, I gave him an open window to look out to the Bowsers and he said, oh, your mother's just pulled into the petrol Bowser. And so I've turned around and I could see her. She got out of the car and she stood at the door and I was waving and I didn't know if she could see me because I was inside the the restaurant. Anyway, she just looked at me like a deer in headlights and um, there was a guy in the car. And he what was, did he look like? Well, again, like, you know, when you're in, the, in at night time at the petrol station and the lights are reflecting on the windscreen, it's really hard to see. But he was quite tall. Like, I would say his head was nearly touching the roof. And he seemed quite darker coloured skin. No one you'd recognise? Not, not that I would know. And anyway, so I'm standing there waving and she got back in the car and she drove off. But instead of driving past me to get out onto the main road, she drove around the back but got stuck and ended up going through the drive-thru at McDonald's. And me, being 23, raced over and looked at her and pointed at her as she went through the drive-thru and went, busted, thinking it was funny. Like I thought, oh, she's got a new boyfriend and she doesn't want to tell me about it. Anyway, the next day I said to her who was the guy in the car and she said he's just a friend. I'd met him at the art centre through a friend of mutual friend and he just wanted to take me out for a drink before I go overseas. I thought it was a bit odd. I was like... One, it's a bit late to be going out 
two, you don't drink. So not sure where you, where you were going. And three, your behavior was a bit odd. So the mystery man in the car has always been a bit of a thing in the back of my head. Who is he and why was he there and why did she panic? Because she didn't want, obviously want us to see. Why'd she kick Chris out so quickly? Marion's collection of valuable antiques and paintings were put into storage, but no one knows where. Shortly before her big trip, she helped to celebrate Sally's engagement to Chris. And it was really nice, actually, because my brother came and my dad came and it was the first time in our adult life that all four of us had actually reunited and been back together. Um, and Mum spent some really nice time with Owen too and took him up to see my grandparents who he hadn't seen for a long time at Caloundra and... Um, it was a really special time for him and for mum. And mum made, like bought a cake for the engagement party and she organised all that and she was quite excited for us that we were getting married. And um, she actually, the school that she was working at had a beautiful chapel with all the um, rows facing inwards, which I really loved. And um, I asked her if we could get married there and she said only the old boys are allowed to get married at the chapel and so she said, but let me ask. So she went to the principal and said, can I ask one more favour before I leave? And he said, anything for you, Marion? And she said, well, Sally wants to get married in the chapel. And he said, no problem. So they organised all our meetings and interviews with the priest and Chris and I got married there 18 months later, but mum wasn't there, sadly. So it was a bit of a tough day. Well, you never assumed you'd never see her again? Never. Is it possible she would leave you in the dark like that? I don't believe so. I don't believe so. It's a very hard thing. You know, it's it's a 21-year journey for me. I feel like it's a bit of a life sentence and people ask me every day, you know, what do you think happened? Do you think she's missing? Do you think she doesn't want to be found? And, you know, of course, I've I've tried to keep a very open mind about what could be the case because, sure, she could be living somewhere else and not wanting to be found. Do I think that that is what she intended no that's not my gut feeling my gut feeling is something's happened to her and I, I can't answer that because I don't know what's happened but you know for her to leave halfway through a school year and up and just sell her house within three weeks and get on a plane and not want anyone to come to the airport to see her off and for her to leave and then to contact us numerous times while she's over there that also says to me, if you, if I was going to go missing, I'd get on a plane, you'd never see me ever again. I wouldn't be bothered to write postcards. I'd be out, I'd be gone. But the fact that she took time to write letters, she took time to write cards, she sent her sister birthday presents from over there, that to me is not someone that is wanting to go missing. She also said in her postcards she was terribly concerned about some stuff that she had in her storage that... Um, she needed me to take back to TSS because she'd held it at home because of the safety of the product. So she had a set of kitchen scales and she had bought a set herself with her own money and the boys ruined it and she used to use it for math lessons. And she had said to me in a, um, a letter and a postcard um, making reference and the last time I spoke to her on the phone, all she was concerned about was this set of kitchen scales that cost $50 
and she said to me, you know, you must get them back to the school. I took them home because I didn't want the boys to ruin them again. Yeah, those and the Russian dolls. And the Russian dolls and these little teddy bears. Dear Sal and Chris, greetings from beautiful but very wet UK. From her letters and postcards home to family and friends, it seemed Marion was having a wonderful time. I finally arrived in England after a most interesting visit to the East. On July 31st, 1997, Sally and Chris returned from a ski holiday in the Snowy Mountains to find a voice message from Marion on their answering machine. She'd heard of the deadly Threadbow landslide and was concerned for their safety. The landslide started at the edge of the Alpine Way before slamming into the Bimberdeen Staff Lodge and the 19 ski workers inside. Chris and I had been skiing at um, Perisher the day before the Threadbow disaster happened. And when we got home, we'd driven down. So when we got home back to the Gold Coast back in the days when we had answering machines on our phones um, and we got in and there was a, the light was flashing and I pressed it and it was mum. Hi, it's me. And it was the first time she'd rung me from since she'd been away. And um, this was the 31st of July and she said, oh, we've just heard word over here about the Threadbow disaster or what's happened at Threadbow. Um, I was just worried for you and Chris and make sure, making sure you're okay. I'll try you again later. And I got really sad because I really desperately wanted to talk to her because I'd just bought my wedding dress on the way home, literally the day before. On August the 1st, Marion called Sally again. And she said she was at a payphone. And she told me, um, I'm sitting here in Tunbridge Wells in the UK. And she said, I'm having a fabulous time. I'm just having some um, scones and tea with some little old ladies that I've met. And I'm having a really nice time. But I just thought I'd touch base. I wanted to make sure you and Chris were okay. And so we had a big chat. And she asked me about if I'd managed to get the things back to TSS, which I had. And um, we talked for a bit about what she was doing and she said to me, I've postponed my trip on the Orient Express because I'm having such a lovely time here exploring everywhere. Um, so I'll go on that later. And um, then the, the phone kept dropping out, so the money yeah, kept the dropping out. the phone kept out. dropping out because it was a pay phone Correct. back in those days unless Correct. you kept putting coins in. Correct, so, so no what, mobile what the, phones. What was the voice saying? Well, it just kept dropping out and then she'd ring me back and oh. she'd say, I've got more money. And so she kept putting the money in and um, I said to her, where are you? And I'll call you back to save being on the payphone. She goes, no, I'm out. I'm just I'm having tea with these little ladies I just wanted to call. She didn't tell you the location she called from, her, did she, in that call? She said she was in Tunbridge Wells. She, oh, she, she did say it was Tunbridge Wells, yeah. where she sent the letter from? Yes, correct. Okay. And I had... Um, you know, back in the day, there was that delay when you were talking to someone overseas, the international call, you kind of got that delay before they'd speak. So she was definitely, definitely there. It was definitely an overseas call. And the money kept dropping out. So I think she rang back about five times. And then the last time she rang back, she said, this is all the money I've got now. So you just talk until the money drops out. So I just kept talking and telling her um, what we we're up to. And I just got an interview with the police force because I was trying to get into the police service. And bought the wedding dress, so I just told her everything and then the phone just went dead and that was the last time I've ever spoken to her. It was the last time any of Marion's loved ones spoke to her. Do you still hear her voice in that phone call today? Her voice resonates with me a lot in the back of my mind and I can hear her talking and laughing and, um, yeah, so she was a big part of my life. So um, I, my mum and dad separated when I was really little, so it was really just my brother, my mother and I who did everything together. So we went on holidays together and 
So yeah, she's a big part of my world. After that final phone call on August the 1st, the days and weeks slipped by. Sally wasn't too concerned at first. Marion had said she needed a break and not to expect much correspondence. But on October the 18th, alarm bells rang for Sally. It was her brother Owen's birthday. Marion always made a fuss of birthdays. Not this time. So I'd spoken to her in the August. Mm -hmm. She'd said to me, you know, please know that I'm not going to keep writing lots of postcards to everybody because I am trying to have a holiday. And she's got three sisters and, you know, Owen and I, she was trying, and her parents and everyone else, and she's trying to write letters. She, I only found out the other day, actually, that she, um, I was talking to one of the mums and from TSS and mum had taught both her sons, one in 1995 and one in 1997, which is the year that she left. And she said that um, she remembered the boys getting a postcard from her from the UK and them reading it out in class and Ollie coming home saying Mrs. Mrs. Barter's um, wrote us a letter today and they read it out in class. So she was quite actively keeping in touch with everybody while she was over there. And then she had said to me, you know, don't expect me to call all the time. And I went, totally fine. Like, go and have a holiday. I want you to have a rest. Like, I, I wouldn't want to be doing that all the time either. So I thought that that was quite rational and okay. And then when my brother's birthday came around, I was starting to get a bit worried. I was like, I don't even know where she is. I don't know what hotel she's staying at. I don't know where exactly she's located over there. Um, And so I started to get a bit worried. And I rang Owen two days after his birthday and I said, did you hear from mum for your birthday? And he said, no. And that was unusual? Very unusual. Like, you know, as I said before, she was sending her sister birthday presents from over there. So she loved birthdays and... It was a big thing for her. She would not miss your birthday, ever. With increasing suspicions about the lack of contact with her mother, Sally decided to contact Marion's bank to see whether she was still accessing her accounts. Remember, Marion had just sold her Gold Coast home, so she had plenty of money available to her. I had her bank details because I'd kept her, she'd given me her car and the, the plan that we had was that I was going to sell my car and then give her the money for my car and keep her car. And if in the event that I didn't sell my car, she'd, I'd just look after her car while she was away and she'd get it when she came back. So it was a pretty even Stephen kind of situation. But I had her bank details in saying that. And so I rang the bank while my friends were over for dinner and I said to the lady, um, on the phone, my mum's travelling overseas by herself. Um, we haven't heard from her for a little while and it was my brother's birthday and I'm concerned for her. Could you please check to see if she's using her account? The woman's standard answer was, I'm really sorry, I can't tell you anything due to privacy. And then she paused and she said, did you say that your mum's overseas? And I said, yes. And she said, oh, my God, money's coming out of her account in Byron Bay. She kind of had said to me, you can't tell anybody that I'm telling you this information because, you know, obviously due to, I'm not supposed to tell you, but I'm actually concerned. So she then told me everything that had happened on her account and we counted it and she said there's like three and a half weeks of every day in Byron Bay, $5,000 increments being stripped out of your mum's account. 
Three of those days in the middle somewhere were in, back in Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. Now, she toured on the Gold Coast. Chris and I lived five minutes from Burley. And I've always questioned if it was her taking the money out, one, why wouldn't you take it out in a lump sum? Two, why would you do it every day for, in $5,000 increments, which is the maximum you can take out? And three, why would you come back to the Gold Coast where you are at absolute risk of being seen? If you want to go missing and everyone thinks you're in the UK, why would you walk the streets of Burley? And how was the money withdrawn? I don't know. I don't know that. So what happened was um, we kind of did a quick addition of it and I was like, oh my gosh, that's like $80,000. What the hell? And back then, that was a lot of money. Um, so... Chris and I got in the car the next day and I took one of her school photos, portrait photos, and we walked the streets of Byron Bay. I went to Lois Lane's shoes and I went to places I knew that she had visited in Byron Bay that she liked. Um, and not that she went to Byron Bay very often, but she had a fetish for these shoes down there. So I, that was one of the first ports of call where we went to see if she'd been in there and they were like, mm, I'm really sorry. And everyone's standard answer was, I'm really sorry, I haven't seen her. And we went to the, the pharmacist and we went to the natural shop where you could buy all your, because she was quite into natural foods and things. Went into Woolworths and the newsagents, so anywhere I thought she, if you were living there, that's you would frequent one of those places for sure. But no one had seen her. And then the last stop was the Commonwealth Bank down there. So, no one who Sally approached in Byron Bay in late 1997 could recall seeing Marion in the weeks that her bank accounts were drained. Byron Bay is a beachside town in northern New South Wales, about 800 kilometres north of Sydney and 100 kilometres south of Ashmore on the Gold Coast, where Marion had lived. It's known for its pristine beaches, surfing, spectacular scenery and laid-back outdoorsy lifestyle. Byron's landmark lighthouse marks the easternmost point of Australia. It's the place to be to watch the sunrise in the morning. It's very popular with travellers, from backpackers to high-end tourists. These days, it's firmly on the radar of Hollywood's elite. Actor Chris Hemsworth and his family live there. Uh, here I am in Australia, Byron Bay. It's a beautiful, beautiful morning. Matt Damon and his wife and kids often visit for holidays. Across the Byron Shire, there are around 31,000 permanent residents. About 9,000 of them live in town but there are also many itinerants. It has an upmarket hippie vibe. It's the sort of place you go to escape. To break free from the rat race, lose yourself, even disappear. Sally contacted police on the 22nd of October 1997 and reported her mother, Marion Barter, missing. Nothing has been straightforward since. On August the 2nd, 1997, the day after Sally last spoke to her mother, Marion, on the phone, there's a record of Marion's passport returning to Australia. Under the new name, Florabella Natalia Marion Remekel. And... I thought that was quite odd. And the documentation also said that she was living in Luxembourg and that she was married 
status married and um, duties, home like occupation was home duties and that she was coming to Australia for three days. However, police have confirmed to me that customs told them that the passport never left the country again. So even though it said that she was only coming for three days, that passport never has left Australia again, which is baffling to me. So who is this Flora? No idea. I've never heard of the name Flora Bella in my life. It's been confirmed Marion did change her name by deed poll before she left for England, but her family did not know. Sally only found out in May 2011, four years after she discovered Marion was no longer on the official missing persons list. I had so much contradicting information from police. So police rang me a week after I listed her missing and said she doesn't want anyone to know where she is or what she's doing. I was then told by the AFP that they never physically cited her, they only spoke to someone on the phone. Yet that Freedom of Information document says that that is not reflected in the event, I think it says. And it says that I have, in 2011, there's a statement saying the next of kin has said that she was called by Byron Bay Police to state that her mother was found and that, that she didn't want anyone to, do, anyone to know where she was. However, this is not reflected in the event and that's not documented in the statement. And I was like, wow. You 100% you 100% rang me and told me that. I told my grandfather, he said that's not good enough. So he then went to the Salvation Army tracing service. They then started doing a search, but I have letter documentation from them too saying we've never found your mother. To further muddy the waters, through September 1997, large sums of money were taken from Marion's Australian bank account and her Medicare card was used in northern New South Wales. However, the $20,000 which Marion transferred to a Barclays bank account in England to pay for her year of travel has never been touched. Nor has her superannuation. There was no contact when Marion's father died, when Sally got married, or when Sally had her children. Even when Owen, Sally's brother, Marion's son, tragically took his own life at the age of 27. You said it was the worst day of your life. Oh, it was horrendous. It was horrendous. So Ella was only... Uh, six months old, seven months old, and we'd been sitting out in the garden. So Chris was working in the garden and I was had her on my lap and Eden, his fiance, who he'd been with for 10 years, rang me and said, have you heard from Owen? And I said, no, I haven't. And she said, well, his motorbike's missing and he hasn't been at work for the last two days and the apartment looks weird. She said, all the PowerPoints have been pulled out of the wall and there's money and his keys sitting on the bench and there's a note there saying this is the money to do my laundry and anyway so I said well he's probably just gone for a ride somewhere to chill out I don't know I haven't heard from him he'll be fine you know no idea whatsoever and then Chris turned around and said has she checked the garage and I looked at him and I went why would you say that don't say that 
that's, don't be silly. That was in the afternoon. Anyway, I said to Eden, go and check in the garage, see if he's in the garage, he might be me thinking he was in the garage working on his bike or something. Anyway, um, dad called me at 10.21 p.m. I had just finished feeding Ella at 10, so I just put her down and I just got into bed and kind of just dozed off and the phone rang and I remember thinking, looking at the clock, going, who would ring me at this time of night? And dad rang me and he had some profanities to speak and, you know, in a stress situation saying the police are here, he's done it, I've gone and I've got to go and identify him now at the morgue. And he was in a very panicked manner. It was not gently told to me, I was very abruptly told, but understandably dad was really upset. So I jumped out of bed and I had, I put a robe on because it was like I was cold and I put I grabbed a photo of him and I just put it on my heart and I just tied my my robe really tight and I remember walking around the house going I don't know what to do I don't know what to do the valuable paintings that Marion stored have seemingly vanished yeah she had um, an original Norman Lindsay and she had an original Arthur Boyd and a Jamie Boyd and it just so happens I actually have a photograph of the Arthur Boyd, which was taken at our house at Lapston in the, in the Blue Mountains. So it's a very old photo, but um, that was all put into storage for her in her shipping container. So understanding that when she'd gone, she'd put everything into storage that she was going to keep herself. And she put that into storage with the idea of if she stayed over there that she'd get me to send the shipping container over which I was fine with, I was totally cool with, but that's all gone. Despite official claims that Marion is alive and doesn't want to be found, no one, including investigators and police, has actually physically seen her. How would you describe the dedication of the authorities, including the police, in terms of finding out how your mother vanished? I'm really bewildered and very sad because she's a person She's a human being. She's a mother. She's a grandmother. You know, she's missed out on so many things in life that are really important. And I will tell you that, unfortunately, I don't want to speak badly about anybody, but I will tell you that I feel like every single time I've reached out and asked for people to help me, they've slammed the door in my face quite firmly. Is part of that because they think that Marion has chosen to disappear and you just can't accept that? Because that, that's when reading the, the documents, that's what I keep getting from people, from police, from authorities, from the salvos. They're, they're trying to impress upon you the fact that she may never have gone missing. Is that, is that how you feel? Is that, do you feel that, that that's the way they're treating you? No, and unfortunately those documents have a lot of information on them that is not correct, and that troubles me as well. What's your gut feeling about what's happened to Marion? Based on the fact of how quickly she quit school and left and was not in a very normal state that I would know my mother to be in, she was not happy, she was very upset, she was frazzled, she was to tell Chris to get out is not her personality at all. Something had happened. Something has happened to make her leave. What sort of thing? Someone or something? I don't know. I think I I can't lay blame to things I, I'm only assuming to, but there's something I think happened at TSS because she was not happy. She says in her letters, I'm so happy to not be at TSS anymore, but I miss my little boys. So that to me also says, um, you know, 
that she wasn't happy there. There was something that happened there that caused her to be this way. Sally has endured half a lifetime of sadness, frustration, confusion and hope. What if she's out there alive and well, knowing what you're going through, but just for whatever reason not reaching out to you? How do you, how do you process that? I don't know. I've, I've tried to stay positive about it the whole way along. I don't want to be an emotional mess about the situation. And I've, I've kind of thought to myself that if it was a case that she just wanted to be missing, that would, like, I would just walk away from that. I would not sit there and question her or, you know, I've read a lot of, a lot of literature and a lot of information about missing persons and so many people who are missing or go missing and then decide that they want to come home, but they don't come home because they're worried about the backlash that's going to happen with their family and what are the family going to say to them? Are they going to sit what, there what and be... What are you going to say to your mum if she does come I'd just give her a hug. And the first thing I'd do is introduce her to my kids. That's <laughs> pretty tough. That's all you can ask for. I wouldn't even, I don't even think I'd care to know what she's been doing. It's hard. But anyway, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what this brings. I'm hoping, I'm only doing this so that I can try and find her. I'll just give her a hug and, you know, tell her that she's loved and that we've missed her. And I'm sad that she missed my wedding and I'm sad that she missed me having babies. And I'm sad that she's missed Ella graduating and, you know, that she plays the cello and that um, Darcy's the state champion in gymnastics and that Caleb loves playing rugby. You know, I'm sad that she doesn't get to see all those wonderful things. I think too, Ella saw the emotional side of me dealing with it when, because it was very raw when she was little, whereas when Darcy and Caleb came along, it, you know, it gets longer in the tooth, so you kind of don't talk about it as much. And I do remember when it first happened, there was a missing person show on the TV, and I remember watching that, and there was two sisters whose... Um, other sister I think had gone missing or might have even been their mother but they had a little boy and he probably would have been about Caleb's age now so about 11 and this little boy cried the whole time they were filming about this person he'd never met before and I that kind of resonated with me that I did not want to live a life where my children were crying about someone they'd never met before that it was so impacted in their world that they were so worried and stressed about the situation that their grandmother is missing or a missing person. How hard is it because you are living that life? I know, and I end up making myself really sick from, you know, stress and anxiety and um, because I try and take it all on myself, I think, rather than sharing it with them. So they talk, we talk about it. It's something that we do talk about um, a little bit and they know the story and, you know, I'm not shy to tell them. They know what happens and um, they know what happened to Owen and, you know, I'm very open about all of that so that I don't want to hide anything from them but I don't want it to become their world. This is my world and I don't want them to have to live it what I'm living. If she is alive, Marion would now be 73 years old. Sally is appealing for help to find answers and peace for herself 
and for her family. Someone somewhere knows something. She's someone's neighbour. She's going to a doctor. She buys milk. So I would just ask that if someone does know her or is friends with her or has an ability to let her know that I'm looking for her, I just would really hope that she would contact us and just let us know she's okay. I don't even know, have to know where you are. I just need some proof so that I can get on with my life too. If that's your choice, that's okay. I have to live with that. It's not great and it's not what I hope for, but, you know, I would hope that at least I can put myself at rest because it is really stressful, as you can probably imagine. Mum, you just need to come home. We just want you to come home. Everybody wants you to come home. Everyone's so sad that you're not here and you're very, very dearly missed. And there's a lot of confusion as to what's happened to you and we just want to make sure you're okay. That's it. We just want to know that you're all right. She just wants to know the truth. There's too many unanswered questions. Um, I don't think the police have dug deep enough, um, in my opinion. And at the very beginning, it seemed easy, I guess, for them to just put her in a box and say, this is where you fit. So that's what we think. And um, I have had the detective tell me that their um, reasoning is based on assumptions. There's no proof to it. So that kind of upsets me a little bit too because I, I'm happy if my mum, if I knew my mum was sitting on a beach in Venice having a great time, I'd be okay with that. But I don't know that and they have told me flat out that they've never found her, they've never sighted her, yet there's all this other contradiction. Is it possible she's sitting on that beach in Venice but just doesn't want you to know it? Anything's possible. Next time, Marion's early life and her need to be loved. She told me once she could never live without having a man in her life. A string of failed marriages, including one to famous socceroo, Johnny Warren. He just said to her over breakfast he didn't want to be married anymore and within three hours he packed up and left. And how she ended up on the Gold Coast. Highly excited and calling everybody precious and darling and so on at first encounter. If you knew Marion or have any information about her or her whereabouts, we'd love to hear from you. Our website is sevennews.com.au forward slash the lady vanishes. And you can also message us here. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe. Please rate and review our series. It helps new listeners find us. Presenter and executive producer, Alison Sandy. Presenter and investigative journalist, Brian Seymour. Producer and writer, Sally Eels. Sound design, Mark Wright. Transcripts, Charlie Daly Watkins. Graphics, Jason Blamford. The theme and much of the music by Nicholas Gasparini at thedarkpiano.com. This is a 7 News production.